and welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell, and joining me today to talk a little MLS, or more specifically, the MLS's back tournament, are two fellas who spent, I'm assuming, a lot of time talking to people about that strange tournament in Florida. From The Athletic, it's Matt Pence. Hi, Matt. How's it, how's it going? It's going well, man. It's good to talk to you, Matt, out on the West Coast, and Pablo Mar joining us from somewhere, I'm assuming. Hi, Pablo. Hey, how's it going? You're, you're, are you in D.C.? Are you East Coast? Yeah, Washington, D.C. Yeah. All right, coast to coast today. Uh, and we are here, you all are joining me, uh, to talk about the piece you all just wrote. As I said, I really, really enjoyed it. Pablo, before you got on the line, I was telling Matt that it kind of was amazing to me that you all managed to come up with something that is both very entertaining and funny and simultaneously uh, infuriating. So credit to you both for that. Uh, thank you. I, think, uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe my specialty is making people angry. <laughs> and does that mean know, that... Um, Matt's specialty is making people happy. That's why we work so well together. It's quite the balance. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Good cop, good cop, bad cop. Yeah. Uh, so for MLS is back. I want to pause for a moment, Matt. Uh, for listeners who are a similar bo- in a similar boat to me, who kind of forgot that that tournament happened, or so many things have happened since it happened that it sort of has faded a little bit from memory. Can you give us a quick bit of background on the tournament itself, Matt? Yeah. So this is basically uh, as we kind of like address at one point in the story um it's kind of like dropping you back into that very strange point in time that no one really feels like going back to um when the pandemic really first kind of took hold um last march into kind of the early summer um when everything was really meaningfully on hold there weren't really any sporting events anywhere um and so this was mls's way to at the time they thought they were going to be the first league back playing they kind of came up with this plan to just try to strategically like find any way to do this even like pseudo safely um and they ended up actually even getting beat to that by the nwsl was the first north american tournament to come back and a lot of the european soccer leagues came back um before they ended up kicking this off but anyway mls comes up with this like quote-unquote bubble idea uh that then gets adopted by the nba and a couple other places where they just figured they could fly everybody in uh, to disney world as we talked about in the story and we can kind of get more into there were actually multiple options for this uh, for where to have this, but in order to to get the league back going, they basically concocted this standalone mid-season tournament on the fly, played within this bubble uh, at Disney World, uh, which is where we kind of get into how surreal all of that really was. And uh, I'll come to both of you for this, but Pablo, I'll come to you first. Uh, was there like one inciting incident or thing that made you want to cover this topic to go back to this topic? Or was it just sort of a thing that you had always wanted to take some time to spend some time with? And now you have the opportunity. Uh, self-hatred, I think, probably <laughs> is what drove both Matt and I to do it. Uh, not really. Ironically, I think the league itself approached our outlet with a story initially. Um, you know, there, there are a lot of upsides to the tournament, honestly. Um, I think most people would consider it a relative success on MLS's part. You know, uh, all the infections came from outside the bubble. The tournament was completed, et cetera. So um, I think the league office is really proud of pulling the event off. Um, you know, so they came to us with with sort of a, a pitch, you know, that they could maybe make some folks available for us to talk to about the tournament. Obviously, we figured out pretty quickly, start talking to players and coaches that, their experience was quite different, you know? Um, so no, I wouldn't say I had any like 
huge compulsion to write about MLS's back. I mean, it feels, I mean, it feels in some ways like it happened yesterday and other ways like it happened 10 years ago, you know? Um, but I think once Matt and I got into the reporting part of the story, it, it really did became, become, excuse me, um, maybe much more layered and sort of interesting than we thought it would. Matt, I think my assumption was that maybe maybe like the MLS had approached you or maybe you all had just decided we want to cover this topic. You reached out to some players, maybe expecting it to be a positive, and then you got some negative feedback. Uh, as Pablo said, if it's them saying like, yeah, it's this success, we want you to talk to some people who thought it was great. Did you all have to seek out some of the players who had negative things to say or were like, or was the league expecting those people to say nice things and then they said candid things? Well, I, I think the league expected us to tell it probably more from their perspective. Um, I think that was kind of their initial idea was, oh, you can go a little bit behind the scenes in, in terms of like the organization of how this came together and like X, Y and Z. This is how logistically behind the scenes we put it together, uh, which is I, I think hopefully we did justice to that part of the story, too, mm-hmm. um, to at least nod to the fact that this was a, a pretty massive undertaking. And as Pablo noted, too, I mean, there there is something to be said for the fact that they were able to pull this off at a time when so much was uncertain and so much was up in the air. Um, but yeah, I also even think that there was maybe, uh, especially a, a year or so later, maybe kind of the time heals all hurt feelings thing that I, I maybe they kind of had a rosier feeling of how the players might look back at this. Um, and it, it wasn't that we had to look very far to find critical voices from the p- player's point of view. I mean, it seemed like it was kind of just a traumatic thing at a traumatic time, and they did what they had to do. And it was pretty evident early on that they saw that event very differently than the league did. And I think that we kind of jumped in to tell that story at a good time. So I think it was Ryan Hollingshead um, from FC Dallas was one of the first players that I talked to about this that kind of like, clued me into there being more of a like complex story here. And he was kind of like, yeah, like I was hesitant even at the end of last year to kind of go too direct and putting the league on blast for some of what we thought the shortcomings were, because I don't know, I'm kind of like a good soldier and I don't want to really shine any bad light on the league. But as we get farther and farther apart, I think it's important that this story gets told. Um, So that was kind of an impetus, I think, for us to, dig a little deeper and make sure we kind of tell every side to that story. I would, I would add that like, I, if, if anything, we had to continue interviewing people to find players who had anything good to say, you know, I mean, I would say the average opinion ranged from uh, the most positive you'd find would be something along the lines of, well, you know, we all knew it had to get done. So we went there and did it. Um, to somebody like Hollingshead or Jeff Lorenowitz, who basically just got a blowtorch out. You know, um, I don't think there are a ton of players out there who are super hyped on the entire experience. You know, Pablo, I want to stick with that idea that like we all knew it had to get done because there was definitely that vibe from a lot of the players, from some of the front office people as well, and even some of the coaches. Why do you think that that vibe existed? Because it doesn't seem like it did have to happen. I understand that like the, they wanted soccer to be played. There was an opportunity to get new eyes on the sport because everybody was kind of captive. It was a captive audience hoping for something to entertain them. But it also seems like maybe sponsorships uh, were part of that equation as well. I mean, MLS is, it, it quote unquote had to happen because MLS right now is positioned in a place where, you know, they have their media rights deal coming up. Uh, I mean, first, first things first, I, you know, I asked, you know, Gary Stevenson, 
point blank if the league could have survived an entire year without games? And the answer was yes. You know, none of these teams would have folded mm-hmm. anything like that. They would have lost a tremendous amount of money. And I, something I found interesting was that there were owners across the league who actually thought it might be cheaper just to take a year off um, than it would be to play in empty stadiums and pay for all these additional screening protocols, this, that, and the other thing. You know, but um, the reason that quote unquote had to happen is because, you know, players needed to find a way to get paid. Uh, the league had to find a way to sort of satisfy the needs of its broadcast partners, sponsors. The league probably thought, you know, hey, we need to sort of showcase our product ahead of this media rights deal. This had the other thing. So, no, you know, it never had to happen. Um, it just had to happen. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so the, like the MLS and the soccer landscape in America would not have included had, you know, they taken an entire year off. But if there's this idea that like, okay, something's got to happen. We got to get players playing. We got some sponsorship requirements. We've got fans who want to watch games. Matt, how does the kind of process unfold as you understood it? How do how does the kind of decisions get made or what are the decisions get that made that lead to soccer being played in Orlando? Yeah, so what kind of uh, stood out to me as we kind of got into the nuts and bolts of how it came together was was how quickly they kind of made the leap from, okay, like this initial shutdown that was supposed to be. So they shut down on March 20th or March 12th of 2020 uh, for 30 days. That's the initial plan. We're going to take a month off. Um, and I don't know if you remember what it kind of felt like in the world at that point. It was like, oh, like maybe this will be a two-week yeah. thing. Everything shuts down, blows over. <laughs> yeah. Um, and not only does MLS kind of by the end of March kind of realize that this is going to be a long-term thing, they're already starting to put together, starting to like brainstorm and spitball ideas on how they can get the league moving again. Um, which to me, that that timeline was much quicker than I would have thought. I would have thought they would have put a pin in it for a little bit longer, but already they were kind of looking ahead to how can we do this and, and sort of, one of the first ideas that got floated um, is I think it was it was in early April um, and there was a league partner um, who I believe worked for MGM who reached out to the league and it's like, well, Las Vegas has a lot of empty hotel rooms right now. Would you guys be interested in coming to Vegas and making that a thing there? Um, and so that was kind of I believe that was really the first kind of the floating of the first bubble idea was in Las Vegas um, and they really kind of moved on from there. Like Vancouver was an option. L.A. was an option. Kansas City and Dallas before they eventually landed on Orlando. It's kind of having it all between the fields and the resort space and the empty hotels that they could f- kind of fill out. So they really had multiple options for this bubble tournament. And then it just came down to like they had to kind of create all these different protocols on the fly. They had medical experts involved they were talking to the players union the players as you might imagine had a million questions not only just for themselves but how could they bring along their families what would they do with their families who were left behind and there you got a lot of guys who are from different countries who have wives and kids who are kind of in these strange cities and they didn't want to leave them alone for this amount of time so a lot of that process was answering all of these background questions as you might imagine, just logistically, all those moving parts. And then they just kind of eventually got to a point where it was kind of clear that this was going to happen one way or another, and it felt like the momentum kind of built to a certain extent. And that's kind of when the players seemed to, yeah, just kind of 
make peace with the fact that this is a thing that's going to happen. Matt, is there a place that you, of, of those locations you mentioned or anywhere else, is there a place that you think would have worked as well or better than Orlando? Because Orlando had uh, the like Disney Sports Park, Wide World of Sports Complex, whatever it is. Uh, but like have the fields, have the facilities, have the hotel and infrastructure to accommodate. They also have Florida summer weather, which is going to be an issue. And that was an issue. Are there is there a place that you feel like had more positives than some of the negatives from Orlando? I mean, I guess it depends on like how positively you viewed how it actually came off. True. Um, between the weather and the empty fields and kind of playing on this like glorified practice fields all over the place. But like, again, at this stage of the pandemic and last year, like there wouldn't have really been much of a difference, I don't think, in terms of where they were going to go. Because, yeah, there would have been trade offs no matter where it was. Like, yeah, you could go to Las Vegas, but like. Obviously, the weather is not going to be much different there. How many indoor facilities do they actually have that can host these games? What would the optics of that have been like? Um, and so I don't really think that I, I think that there's a reason why they went to Orlando because of what I said earlier, just between the hotel and the fields and like all of those different things that they had kind of the run on. I think that they that was kind of the obvious choice whenever it came down to it. And Pablo, I, think, I, I know think, that you uh, love Disney World, yeah. Pablo, but yeah, I'd love to hear where, where you would like it to be. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember the 2002 Nike ad campaign where they put all the players in a barge inside a cage. Oh, yes, I do. <laughs> Eric Cantona drop a ball into it. Um, something like that may have worked, like a MLS at sea, MLS love boat concept. <laughs> um, you know, I don't know. I think Orlando, obviously, is a pretty, is a pretty obvious um, fit between the hotel space, the fields, the the also the broadcast infrastructure um you know the weather at that point just becomes something that you have to deal with i mean you know there are other you know kc has that national training facility the you know there's other other obviously um venues this could have happened that but i don't think um anybody had any huge problem with orlando being the go-to just logistically you know um it was obviously a massive undertaking so do you, Pablo, do you feel like this is a tournament? We've already kind of touched on this, but I feel like it's worth kind of getting to the heart of, like, do you feel like this is a thing that needed to happen or should have happened? Because it does sort of frame my understanding of the tournament. Because I think I approached it from a, like, it probably didn't need to happen. And I think I also have this idea that, like, sports leagues in general are maybe not always as interested in the players as much as they are in making sure that, like, they're able to stay in business and make money. And I think maybe that might be too cynical. I I'm genuinely asking you both if I'm being too cynical here, because it does seem like there were positives. There were some good takeaways from it. And so I think it's important to kind of drill down on, like, should, should this have happened? Do you think in the end it was a good idea or more of a bad idea, Pablo? Well, I mean, first of all, I don't, I don't think it's even remotely cynical to say something like, you know, owners of sports teams or the executives are more concerned with the bottom line than the players. Yeah. I mean, that's literally the business model. Sure. You know, um, like Jeff Leonard said, if, if player safety was the league's quote unquote first concern, um, the tournament never would have happened. Right. You know, I, the thing that was a head scratcher to me at the time was, okay, so we stopped, we stopped playing in March when obviously we're still coming to the grips with coming to grips with how this, how bad this pandemic could be. And then several months later, we're going to go back to playing when the infection rate is like way higher. Um, you know, it, it didn't make any sense to me. Um, like, do I, do I think the tournament should have happened? No. Um, 
am I mortally like offended that it did? Not really because, um, shit, man, back then I remember being upset that it was sort of happening and thinking, no, we, we sort of all need to shut everything down, stay home for a month and, and clear this thing. And that never even happened anyways in any real municipality. So, um, I don't think that MLS not hosting that tournament. I mean, I think they'd be in the exact same boat they are now, you know, if they'd taken a year off, I mean, it's not like they'd be immediately returning to uh, a world where the pandemic is gone. We're still obviously waiting through it. So, yeah, Matt, uh, uh, do you agree or, or disagree with that? Yeah, I agree with all of that. Um, especially kind of that last point where um, I know that it, it was kind of interesting because I do think that both of you are right in that, like far and away, the driver behind this was satisfying all of these requirements and just kind of trying to find a way on a business side of eking out anything. Um, I, I do think that a point Gary Stevenson made um, that was obviously self-serving to a certain extent, but he kind of pointed out that like they couldn't afford to lose their connection with their fans for a year and a half is a league that's still developing to a certain extent that maybe on like the business side, they could have weathered it to a certain extent. And like, and I do think that like, the idea that, that they were coming back to perform this social service of giving people entertainment uh, was overblown to a certain extent. But I do think probably part of them was, was thinking that they would prov- this would be like a way to like pick up their fan base and develop these connections a little bit deeper. Um, I think what was kind of interesting in the moment was that not even every MLS fan was on board with this. And then actually a lot of the supporter section, especially out in my part of the world, like there were people who were speaking out and protesting against this happening at all. And I know the the Sounders fan base, the, the the supporter section, the Emerald City supporters, they came out to their final training session and like implored them not to go because they thought that MLS was putting player safety at risk um, and profit first. And, and all of that is a point taken. But at the same time, like kind of as Pablo alluded to, if it's about player safety above all else. And that is your priority. Like how much has really changed to a certain extent? Like we're still existing in this world a year and a half, even more than a year and a half later, we're still public health requirements are different in different places. And it's still an open question. Like how much can you reasonably resume normal life while not putting people in harm's way? And so I think that, I think that it's pretty easy. It's pretty obvious and fair to say in retrospect that they moved more quickly than they needed to. And there wasn't necessarily a huge impetus to have to just sort of like act on this accelerated timeline to be the first league back and do it as quickly as possible. But I do think that it makes sense that they needed to probably find a way to come back relatively safely at some point. I think that's why I ask because if it is sort of a like, yeah, it needed to happen. The players wanted it to happen. It, it it was a green light from the jump. Then some of what follows is, I guess, more excusable almost. But like some of the stuff that really stood out to me and the reason why I found like the article distressing at times almost is is the distinct impression I got that Dallas and Nashville players felt like they had been sort of scapegoated and that they had been unfairly blamed for the COVID tests and sort of their inability to participate when in reality, it feels like it was a lack of information, a lack of awareness about how the virus was spreading and how to combat it. And just sort of overall, it seemed like some players felt like they weren't necessarily protected by the league. Yeah, Matt, you could take that one. Matt Matt handled a bunch of the reporting around Dallas and Nashville. 
Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of that was just kind of the perception that those players had um, just in terms of like, yeah, they, they kind of came in and, and they thought that they were following every protocol. And then you have these reports coming out on ESPN that Dallas is on their team flight They're They're sort of like taking their masks down and eating snacks, which they were technically allowed to do. And Nashville came in and they, there were reports that they had had like a team party on the way out that none of that really seemed particularly accurate. I do think that it was just part of that like early scramble whenever all of these protocols are still new and everything is still up in the air. And MLS is so terrified of the public perception whenever they have the supporters already sort of like calling them out for not putting player safety first. So I think that more than the league actively went out of their way to scapegoat the players. I think that that might've been a little bit more of a perception the players had than anything else, but it was very clear that like the league wanted to pretend like none of that ever happened. Right. Like that was sort of like in retrospect to me, maybe the most galling aspect of it was that like, they just wanted to pretend like those two teams came in and then just kind of just like, they were just off somewhere and the tournament went on and look at us, the tournament got on. Um, and I think that that's what annoyed the players the most, even more than the perception that they scapegoated them. It was more that the league patted itself on the back for getting this event done while conveniently ignoring that two teams had to be scratched and live through this sort of nightmarish experience on in their quarantine ward yeah. for two weeks. Let's talk about that, because <laughs> that is another thing that I think, like, uh, again, the reason why I, I, I asked about, like, if, if I'm being too cynical is because it, it does feel like the league did sort of learn on the fly as best they could. And as best I think a, a lot of people did is sort of learning how it spreads, learning how to combat. But at the same time, there were sort of these gaps. And one of them that you all talk about in the article was like the lack of sort of awareness of what to do if someone tested positive. And when they did, it sounds like Matt, they just sort of uh, left them alone for a while, which again, if we're talking about like 28 year olds left alone in a hotel room, I mean, it's a little bit solitary confinement, but, you know, people can handle that. But when it's teenagers, as was the case for some of the FC Dallas players, it's more traumatic and more difficult to sort of get your head around. Uh, and yeah, I guess I, I wonder in the end, do you think, Matt, there were players who kind of came away from this with a a feeling of maybe distrust towards the league? I think that that's definitely fair for sure. And and yeah, and it's, it's just one of those things where, um, kind of as you alluded to, I mean, they were kind of making up these protocols on the fly, but... Even now, if you look at like guidelines for how to deal um, with somebody who's tested positive, I mean, it's still like you go and you have to quarantine by yourself for 10 days now. It was 14 days back then. I mean, the guidance is still kind of the same. What they missed was just kind of the mental cost of what that isolation would look like. And I think that an anecdote that really sort of stood out was even like Gary Stevenson, it had kind of like he had pointed out that they're like, well, it kind of came to our minds that, oh, it made a big difference if like the guys that were quarantining had a balcony. And so we moved everybody around after four or five or six days so that everybody had a balcony so that they had fresh air. And that's one of those things that it's like that's probably something that you should have considered beforehand uh, to a certain extent while they were kind of, again, figuring out all this on the fly. Um, and yeah, and. To a certain extent, I, I do think the the Dallas and the Nashville teams just kind of became collateral damage. And, and as you kind of saw in the story, that there are still some hurt feelings from those players that not only did they not feel done right by, 
they then felt to a certain extent like their plight was kind of ignored as the league moved on and, and kind of tried to take credit for the good parts of this event while just ignoring all of the bad stuff that happened too. Uh, I'll pose this question to either of you, whoever wants to take it. Do you feel like as the league was sort of patting itself on the back, celebrating winning this award for the best uh, tournament or whatever it was, like, do you feel like they did also acknowledge some of those shortcomings and did deal with the fallout of some of those players feeling like they'd been neglected? Uh, I mean, it's difficult to say. I, um, I want to, I don't want to say be careful how I answer this, but I, I guess what I would say is, um, you know, again, MLS organizationally deserves a good deal of credit for pulling this off. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say that there were times during the reporting of this piece where um, you speak to people surrounding the construction of MLS's back, league office, elsewhere, where um, it was a little galling, uh, you know, that sort of still seemed to be in victory lap mode. And, um, you know, to me, I just sort of would have assumed that the attitude that those players had who were kind of lukewarm towards it, so, you know, it had to happen, we got it done, whatever. I sort of assumed that would probably be the attitude of the bulk of people at the league office, just sort of like, hey, this is something we had to do. We got it done, and, you know, we had a bunch of players get sick, unfortunately, but we got through it, we're back, et cetera. But, um, you know, it, I don't know. It, it does still seem like maybe there's some reflection to be done, you know? Um, but, you know, I can't speak for everybody, obviously, at the league office, nor would I want to. Um, so, so I don't know. Uh, that was my, that was just my personal impression, you know? There were, it seemed like some teams that did enjoy their time in Florida, or at least enjoyed it more than others. Uh, Pablo, is it fair to say that Minnesota had the most fun and booze and not sleep? Uh, were there any favorite stories for you from their time in Orlando? Yeah, I mean, Minnesota spent so much. This is I didn't drop this in the piece, but they they spent so much money on alcohol that they the liquor store that they were bu- buying it from they like uh, essentially had to uh, you know a team administrator or something had to like prove to the liquor store that they were consuming all this. Um, <laughs> you know, so which is you know it would have been my solution too. I don't know if I would call it like we had a blast. You know, I, I might equate it to like somebody in prison making like prison wine and playing cards. Uh, you know, it's like sort of make the best of a bad scenario. Um, uh, I was told that they apparently did karaoke, the human by the killers, you know, something like 500 times. Um, that sounded completely insane to me. Definitely the San Jose earthquakes uh, based on nothing more than social media seemed to be like on drugs. Almost. They were so happy. Um, you know, so and I something that didn't make the PSC. I talked to Jim Curtin, and you know, it was a big tournament for Philly. They did really well. Um, you could make an argument that you know, Aronson, some of their other younger players, got a huge spotlight as far as the international stage goes. Um, you know, because there were many scouts watching. I think the tournament that probably no- normally wouldn't be watching MLS. Um, and Curtin credited that for you know, obviously Philly went on and had a great regular season, and you know. Um, Jim, you know, said that he sort of lays some of the credit for that uh, regular season season performance. That's sort of like how much they bonded in in Florida. So, you know, certainly, you know, there are upsides for certain teams. Um, then you have a team like Atlanta United that did not score a goal the entire tournament, and their head coach got sacked, you know, days after it ended. Um, 
you know, there's just a whole flip side to it of, of teams that just were completely miserable the entire time. So I don't know. And then it's worth noting, uh, Matt, that this is all happening in the with the backdrop of uh, the murder of George Floyd, George Floyd and the protests surrounding. Uh, and it does seem like one like pretty prominent positive would be that it was a physical location where the uh, members of the Black Players for Change could actually meet as opposed to having to hold a bunch of meetings on Zoom and sort of it allowed people to be in one space together to maybe come up with plans and have more of a dialogue than they would have otherwise. Is that a fair takeaway? For sure. I mean, I think that that is uh, like a legitimate sort of unequivocally positive takeaway um, from this whole event is that it did allow um, players this platform um, in a tumultuous time in a lot of different ways um, to kind of come together as black players for change to just really feel like they had this this platform in this meeting space in a way to sort of like express themselves in a very public way um, that I think is they, they're still continuing to kind of grow their voice and they have kind of become this growing force within the league for social activism with for social activism. And I think it's it's fair to say that, like, without this tournament, uh, I kind of struggle to see how they would have had either the means or the ability or the platform to kind of coalesce in the way that they did um, and kind of become as powerful as they have. So I, I think that that's like a real um, definitely a legacy of this tournament that's a little bit more nuanced than a lot of this other stuff. Yeah, I mean, I, I think like I, you know, I have very few memories of MLS is back. I think in a way because there's so much other stuff going on and also mm-hmm. because um, the soccer, and I'll say understandably, was a little forgettable just given the fact that these guys had been doing individual trading and had other stuff going on. My lasting image from that tournament is is a photo that Matthew Steph, a photographer, took of Thierry Henry, um, you know, on a knee with his fist up. That is really the only like vivid memory I have of that tournament, um, or just the protests in the opening game. I think ten years from now. The only any of us who are actually paying attention to MLS back now will remember that MLS is back. It's probably some of the protest stuff, you know. Um, and I think that that certainly speaks volumes to how effective it was. And um, you know, I'm genuinely thankful for that. Obviously, if we're talking about the legacy of the tournament, uh, final question or a couple questions for y'all, Pablo, do you feel like we'll we'll see more similar tournaments in the future? I mean, the league says that this tournament was what inspired them to come up with leagues cup, for mm-hmm. example. Um, and I do, you know, I think, um, I think it's interesting. I was just reading yesterday, actually, the, the USFL is coming back once again. Um, oh, and they're, <laughs> I know, right. <laughs> uh, I, this time I think there's like six or eight teams and they're all playing in Birmingham, Alabama. It's a bit like a soccer slam, which was another, <laughs> another, <laughs> piece that i wrote where it was uh you know four teams playing in iowa city in an ice rink um and i think that might you know i think you might see more of that i'm not gonna lie man i think a tournament like mls is back in non-pandemic time yep. done under four different circumstances i watch the shit out of it you know <laughs> i mean everybody it's like why i love the open cup everybody loves a single elimination tournament everybody loves the playoffs players love playing in those events it's like you know, the the problem I don't think was the format. The problem was just the whole thing. You know, um, so no, I I don't know. I think shit. I think even I wouldn't be like hugely opposed to it if the league found a way to do MLS's back 
as a training camp situation every preseason. Yep. You know what I mean? Um, that would be interesting, you know, uh, but I don't know. Matt, should we just go full reality show with it and have it be a preseason thing where there's cameras documenting all the interactions and then you also get the games at the same time and it just becomes, I don't know, MLS Love Island 24-7? I mean, I, I feel like you're giving MLS ideas that they don't need to be like having people in front of them right now. I'm sure that they've test marketed that or something like it at some point. So give us give them like three or four years and I'm sure something like that will come together. Yeah, I can't. Can't wait to see uh, just a camera trained on Tommy McNamara playing his Xbox 360 in his hotel room. Riveting Riveting stuff happening down there. It's it's, it's definitely a lot less interesting than you imagine. You know. (laughs) Well, if it does happen, I look forward to you all providing the recap on what happened and all the decision making that went into it. But for now, fellas, thank you all for writing the article. But Pablo, thank you for taking the time to chat with me. Yeah, no problem, man. Anytime. And Matt, thank you as well for chatting with me. Yeah, for sure. It was good catching up. Yeah, you too. Uh, Listeners, thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you all again very soon.